The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. You've heard me say this saying before, this phrase before. You know, I have a lot of little you know, things that you'll hear Pastor Chris say over the years. This is one of them. And, and I'll say something like, these are the facts of life. You are either coming out of a difficult time. I mean, a trial, a hardship, uh, a valley, or you're going into a difficult time, um, a hardship or a trial, or you're in the middle of one right now. And that is just the truth. Those are the, those are the facts of life. And I don't know what it might be for you right now or today, but some of you, I mean, you feel like you're in the middle of a fire and you don't know what to do. Um, it could be a financial fire. Uh, it could be health-related. It could be relational. Uh, it could be you're in a job situation right now that's, that's unstable. And uh, whatever it is, it's like you just can't figure out like, what the next thing is to do, why things won't get any better. And you kind of feel like you've done all that you know to do, but you don't know what to do next. So what do you do when you're in the middle of a fire? Well, I want to read a, a verse of scripture to you today that I think it will kind of um, direct us a little bit, uh, establish our direction, and it's my prayer today that it really does speak to you wherever you're at. And, and then we're going to introduce our story in Daniel. We've been in this, uh, this series entitled Brave uh, about uh, the book and the life of Daniel. And uh, so we're going to jump right into there, uh, into our story here in just a moment. But first of all, First uh, Peter Chapter 1, verse 7. It's on your uh, outline, I believe. It's on the screen, or you can look it up in your Bible or your smartphone. 1 Peter 1, 7. These trials, okay? So whatever it is you're going through, you know, this hardship, this difficulty, the fire that you're in, will show that your faith is genuine. In other words, these trials are a part of your, your life. This is a part of the journey of faith that, that we're all on. And as you endure them, as you go through them, they're actually going to show both the quality and the depth of your faith. So they have a purpose. He continues, it is being tested, your faith, as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is, is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through those, what does he say, what's the word? Through the what? What kind of trials? Many, not just one, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So Peter starts off and he says, hey, listen, the trials, the many trials that you're gonna go through in life, they're, they're going to reveal your faith. They're going to, to show that your faith is, is genuine, that it's real. In fact, if you're taking notes today, number one really is kind of the, the key thought for the entire day, and it's this. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. Say that with me. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be what? Trusted. In fact, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a faith that was tested in the lives of 
of three young men, really three teenage boys. And we're not going to talk so much about Daniel today as we're going to talk about some friends of Daniel. And these, these young men are probably like 14 or 15 years of age. You really can't leave the book of Daniel without talking about this story and talking about these, these guys. Uh, their, their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How about those names? I, I, love, I love those names. Not very popular baby names today, um, you know, but I, I like them, you know, nonetheless. So in, in a, if you were here in the very beginning of this series, we talked about evil king who? Nebuchadnezzar, right, evil dude. Um, and at one point in the story, he decides that he is going to make a giant statue. And he tells everybody in the kingdom, listen, you're, you're going to bow down. I want you to bow down and worship this gold statue. Now, the statue is like 90 feet tall, 30 yards straight up into the air, nine feet wide. I mean, I don't know about you, but as I read this, it sounds like he's compensating for something. You know, it just sounds a little, that's the way I think. Anyway, it sounds a little strange that he's got this huge, big statue, but he says to every government leader, every advisor, every judge, to come to this celebration, to come to this dedication, and then in Daniel 3, we read this. The herald shouts out, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, Liar. By the way, I, we need a zither, don't we? I don't know what a zither is. Michael's going to work on a zither for us, I think. Uh, liar, harp, and pipes, and all these other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And then in verse 6, he says this Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be what? thrown into a blazing furnace. So anyone, you know, uh, all the, you know, the musicians are going to come out, they're going to make this big processional, and anybody who doesn't bow down, they're going to be cremated alive, okay? Basically is what he's saying here. Now, if you read on in verses 12 through 15, you're going to see something interesting. Everybody bows down, Okay? Everyone is bowing low except for these three teenage boys who continue to stand firm in their faith. Even when their faith, even when taking a stand for their faith could cause them to be thrown into a fire. Now, in other words, if they are the only ones who are standing and everybody else is bowing, my guess is there were some other, you know, former, you know, there, there were some Jew, other Jewish slaves in that, in that audience who were bowing down. But these three young men refused to do so because a faith that is tested is a faith that can be what? Trusted. Don't forget that. You know, let me ask you a question. How many of you... And let's just say the last couple of weeks, we could probably even say, you know, the last week or so, have had what you would consider to be a really bad day. A bad day. I mean, it's nothing, you raise your hand, come on, if you've had a bad day, there's nothing wrong with having a bad day. Uh, in this story, we got these three teenage boys that are facing what looks to be a pretty bad day. Now, there are some qualities 
there are some characteristics that occur within your faith when you are having a bad day, when you are facing difficult situations, when you're going through a trial, when you're in the middle of a fire, or for, for, days, for today's purposes, when you're facing a fire, that you are never ever going to develop during any other season of life. In other words, the only way you're going to develop your faith in this certain way, the only way you're going to develop these characteristics or these qualities about your faith is if you go through a trial, is unless you face a fire. And so I believe, with all my heart today, that you're here for a reason. And I think God is going to speak to some of you specifically as to why he would allow you to experience some of the challenges that you're facing right now. Some of the trials that you're going through. And uh, the fire that you're facing. And what he might be doing with your faith. What qualities he might be developing. So again, don't forget, a faith that is tested is a faith that can be what? Trusted. Number two, faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God instead of following man. So again, everyone is bowing, even other you know, Jewish uh, boys, even other people who've been enslaved, other people who believe there's only one God. But these three guys are standing firm. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I love what they say, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That's pretty cocky, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty bold. 14-year-old staring down a king, facing imminent death, saying, you know what, king? We don't even have to have a discussion with you. We really don't need to to give you an answer because ultimately, this is really not between us and you. You see, this is between us and our God. But that's what real faith does. Real faith obeys God instead of following man. I mean, think about it. They didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to fast about it. You know, they, they didn't get all three of them together with the furnace behind them and take a selfie. Woo, you know, hey, what's up? You know, they didn't have to do any of that and then post it on Facebook and uh, try to get a consensus of all their followers. Hey, what do you think we should do? You know, they didn't have to do that. Remember Daniel from, the very, from, from week one, they had a predetermined plan. And that was Obedience. Obedience to God, period, that's it. They just knew that if they ever faced a situation like this, that they follow God. They're gonna be obedient to God no matter what because faith obeys God instead of following man. I think it would have been so easy for these guys to kind of rationalize this whole situation away and just compromise. I mean, think about it. Everybody else is bowing. Other friends of theirs, I'm sure, family members, people that they knew also followed God. They're bowing down. They could have just as easily said, well, all right, you know, we'll just bow down. Hey, in fact, let's just pretend that we're worshiping the 90-foot statue, and, and, uh, but in our hearts, we'll be singing praises to God. You know, we'll just kind of, we'll fake it. Or they could have said, you know, 
I'll just worship the idol. And then tomorrow, I'll do what I always do. And this might hit home for some of you. I'll just ask God to forgive me. You know, how many times do we do that? Or, or maybe it's, you know what? If I don't vow, I'm dead. And if I'm dead, nobody's gonna be left to tell all these people that you know, there's really only one true God, so therefore maybe I should compromise just this one time. The truth is you don't see any of that. They simply said, we're gonna honor and obey God and we're not gonna do what everybody else is doing. Now listen to me for a second. I guarantee you, I promise you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're pursuing his call on your life and trying to live his purposes in your life, your spiritual enemy is gonna give you opportunity after opportunity, even today, even now, to compromise what you know to be true and just to do what everybody else is doing. Church, I'm telling you, there are gonna be seasons where God is gonna call you to do things that other even good, well-meaning people might say, man, you're crazy. Man, you're taking that, that Jesus thing a little too far. You know, just compromise. You know, do what everybody else is doing. But faith in the fire, what does it do? It obeys who? It obeys God. It doesn't listen to the comments of the consensus. It's not majority rule. We obey God and him alone. Number three, faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Look at Daniel 3.17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is what? Able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. No matter what I see, they were saying, no matter what I see, I believe that not only is God all powerful, but don't miss the second part of what they're saying. I believe that my God will save us. I believe he's able and I believe he will. Now, there's a big difference between God just being able to do something and you and I actually believing that he will do something. And no matter what the circumstances look like in your world, in your trial, in your fire, for some of you, you know, in the last month, you left a doctor's office with a diagnosis that absolutely rocked your world. And so what do you do? A, you trust God. But then the, the difficult part is our faith has got to rise in those situations where you actually believe that not only is my God able to heal, but as his child, I believe he will. Now, what he actually does and how he does it, that is up to him. But we're called to trust. 
to obey. You know, maybe some of you are looking today at a dangerously low checking account. So what do you do? Well, first of all, let's be honest. Do your part, okay? You know, stop buying stuff you can't afford. Live within your means. Um, get a job, a third job if you have to. You know, but beyond all that, you've got to believe in it with everything in you that my God is both able and he will provide. He's my provider. You, you have a relationship that is absolutely falling apart. And so what do you do? What does faith do? Your faith has got to grow to the point where you say, I not only believe that my God is able, but he will restore. You see, church, what I'm saying is that there's so much doubt probably in a room this size, but God is not confined to what you and I can see. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. So why would we doubt? Our faith says God is with us and our faith believes. No matter what we see. But make no mistake, the things that God has put in your heart to believe for, God will probably take a path very unlike what you think he's going to take. And that's what makes him God. And that really leads to the hardest question in, in all of this discussion. I know you're thinking it. What if God doesn't do what I'm believing him to do? What if you're believing God to heal someone and they die? What if you're believing God to bring your child back to faith and they seem to be sucked further into addiction, further in rebellion? What do you do when that spouse doesn't come home and the relationship isn't restored? What do you do then? Because that's where some of you are living right now and you, you know it. That's your fire. Well, number four says this. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Faithful obedience is, God's, is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. You know, living out what God has called us to do, the life that he's purposed us to live, that's our job. But that's where our job ends. What God does after that is where his job begins. Our job is to trust. Our job is to be obedient, to be faithful. And then how he plays it out is entirely up to him. In fact, look at verse 18 of Daniel 3. This, this is crazy. I love this though. Listen to this. Now remember, these, these, four, these three you know, kids, these three young men, they are staring down a king facing imminent death saying, Basically, I believe that my God is able and I believe that he will save us. And, and then verse 18, what does he say? But even if he doesn't, I believe my God will save me. I believe my God wants to save me. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we're never going to serve your gods. We're never going to worship the gold statue that you have that you set up. We're going to do what's right before our God. And we're just going to trust him with the outcome. 
Now, I know it's super easy to hear all that, especially if you grew up in you know, Sunday school and you had the flannel graph, remember, and the, you know, the, the, the little guys and the whole story and all that. And you're thinking, well, you know, duh, of course they will, because you know, we know the outcome. We know that they're going to be rescued. But we're several thousand years removed. You know, again, we got these three, young, these three young kids that are facing a really, really hot oven. They're getting ready to become crispy critters, okay? They don't know what God is going to do. They don't know what God is going to do. But their faith is unwavering. Because they know intimately the goodness and the power and the heart of God. And so in response to their insolence, in response to their rebellion, what does evil King Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar orders that the furnace be stoked seven times hotter than normal. I mean, he is jacking up, you know, the heat. And he orders the soldiers to bind their their hands and their arms and and throw them into the furnace. They're, They're going to be cremated alive. They're going to be killed. In fact, the furnace was so hot, the Bible actually describes that as the soldiers were throwing the boys into the furnace, that the soldiers died instantly. Not in the furnace, but just outside it. That's so hot, that's how hot it was. And so, seemingly, they get thrown to their death. Now follow along, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he, and he rose, and he, he jumped up in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, hey, Did we not just cast three men bound, tied up, into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Well, look, he answered, I see how many? What does he say? I see four four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And And the form of the fourth is like who? The Son of God. Now, how many of you used our, our word of the week last week around the Thanksgiving table? You remember what, the, what it was or what, what this is? This is a what? You remember? Christophany. There you go. Your word of the week. Now, you don't remember it. You didn't remember it last week. You don't remember it now. But uh, this is, in other words, this is an appearance. Again, this is not the New Testament, right? This is not Acts. This is not Ephesians. This is Daniel. So this is an appearance of Christ himself. Now listen to me for a second. God will show you his power in all kinds of different ways through the course of your life. But you will most intimately know and experience his presence, the tangible reality of the presence of Jesus when you are in the fire. And some of you need to hear that today. God will show you his power in all different kinds of ways throughout the course of your life. But you will most intimately know and experience his presence, the tangible reality of the presence of Jesus when you are in the fire. 
You know, there's this false teaching out there that says, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's all going to be, you know, unicorns and rainbows, and you'll never experience any difficulty. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Peter said, in the many trials that you face. Listen, what I'm saying is that it is in the trial, it's in the fire that you most intimately know the power of Jesus. The Bible says that they were unharmed, unburned, their robes weren't burned, but there was actually something, if you're looking at the text, that did burn. And I need for some of you to hear this. The Bible says that they were loose, walking around, unharmed. When they were thrown into the fire, they weren't loose, they were what? They were bound up. And now as they looked in, they saw four men unbound. The fire burned that which bound them. Now, why is that relevant? Because some of you are facing a fire right now, some big, some small, and you are begging God to deliver you from this suffering. You're begging God to end this season of challenge, to end this hurt, to end this season of trial. But could I propose that perhaps, even as you just saw in this story, that the very thing you want God to remove from you is the very mechanism that he wants to use to set you free, to test you and to refine you and to purify your faith and to give you character qualities that you would never have any other way. 20 years of addiction and you are facing today the most excruciating trial of your life and you are frustrated that it's still to this day, one day at a time. And there are moments when you feel like you're hurting the very people that you love the most and the very thing that you beg God to remove from you might be the very thing that God wants to use to set you and other people free. Don't minimize the presence of God in the circumstances your hurt can and will accomplish. Because the Bible says that our God will use all things together for his good. Verse 28, listen to this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, when God shows up in your pain, when God shows up and he walks in the fiery furnace with you, the world will look on and God will be glorified. Yeah, they'll see you, but they will glorify God. They will say, praise be to the God of, of Jason, whom you set free from addiction. Praise God, praise be to the God of Samantha, who stood by her husband when she didn't have to, and God made their marriage better than new. Praise be to the God of Jonathan, who began to honor God. God with his finances. Praise be to the God of David and Linda who took care of their parents in their final years. Verse 28, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be what? Trusted. Faith obeys God rather than following who? Man. 
Faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Faithful, trusting obedience is our responsibility. The rest is up to God. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.